You're listening to the Virtual World Society Next End Podcast. For this episode, we invited DJ Good, Chief Technology Officer of Alero Telecom and President of LK Communications. To get involved with our organization, head over to virtualworldsociety.org. What is going on, everybody? It is Maxwell with the Next in Podcast from your favorite organization, the Virtual World Society. Excited to be here with another incredible, successful, intelligent human being. This is why I love doing this. DJ Good, Chief Technology Officer of Alero Telecom and President of LK Communications. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Max. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, your experience in communications and in technology is uh, it's it's very impressive to have your titles and to have your background. And when I was, you know, kind of researching into you and Alero Telecom and, and the things that you do, not only was I impressed, but I also found that there was a, a huge portion of your work that is that is based on caring about about humanity and and about people. And I'm really curious, did you always know you were going to be in IT in the in the technology? world or was it something that kind of happened over a little bit over time a great question max but uh yeah i i actually tried not to be in the it world uh i i always like to say that uh if your dad was a dentist and uh you are not a dentist and you do what you do then you still know a lot about being a dentist um my dad uh ran the communication department for the santa fe railway growing up i i saw all sorts of things i said i wasn't gonna ever do that and next thing i know here i am <laughs> so did it happen when you were uh when you were kind of young or more so when you were younger like a kid and a teenager you were like i'm not going to do this and then when you got to college or or after that that it kind of started yeah it was um well i went to school to be a civil engineer um and now i work kind of as a double e uh so uh, you know i i just kind of knew it um it just kind of and uh I did the mortgage business for a little bit. I, I always like to say I was a cog in the machinery of the mortgage industry, but I was doing some stuff in telecom before that. Then, um, then things happened in the in the mortgage industry, and I got back into telecom and have been doing it ever since, and ha- haven't looked back. Probably never retire. Never retire because of what you said earlier. I mean, we're doing so much fun, um, so many fun things, um, and. You're all, you're either you're either learning something new every day or you're falling behind. And there's always something new in this business. So that's that's been the fun part of this. Well, then I'm not surprised that you would that you would join this, even though, you know, you have your dad in, in the business and you're like, I don't know if I want to if I want to get into this. But, you know, learning something new and having fun along the way and being able to help people are are re- is is a re- truly a recipe for longevity, you know, and I, I'm not surprised that you don't want to retire. I, I would never want to retire myself. Just the work that we do in 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 communications and technology, it's it's important for the world. And and you've seen it evolve throughout the years. How long have you been in in tele- uh, telecommunications? Oh, I um, <laughs> give you an idea. MCI Mail was created, or uh, the first commercialization of email was um, MCI Mail. Um, my dad had the first email outside of MCI. So, um, I remember you, he he had a station wagon that had this suitcase in his back of his station wagon 
and that was a cell that was the cell phone that we use all all the time but that was on their microwave antennas along the santa fe railway wow wow <laughs> <I did. laughs> yeah. uh, just little yeah just stuff like uh um i don't know it, it was it's just interesting to hear all the different things and they i remember my dad saying that they were getting a lot of fraud um on their phone system out of Argentina. And I'm like, Argentina? Like, the Santa Fe Railway runs in the U.S. And he's like, like, no, we have sales offices all over the world, and they're all connected. So, um, so yeah, it's been, uh, um, very, been very in- entertaining. MCI, which is now Verizon, um, has all their fiber lines buried along Santa Fe rail lines, which is now the BNSF. Um, so if... You're from Kansas City. Um, people know in Kansas City know this, but Sprint was actually an acronym for Southern Pacific Railroad, and uh, turned out, yeah. So that was an acronym initially because Sprint buried all their fiber along Southern Pacific Railway. That's that's fascinating. I I had no idea, and I I had I had some idea of the, of the different companies that kind of started and and kind of changed the way that we communicate. I I mean, it must have been amazing for you to see the technology that happens in a suitcase, which I can imagine was very heavy at the time. It must have been kind of inconvenient to travel with. I was like, why? I always laughed at my dad for having this uh, station wagon. He's like, well, if I want to use this, I have to (laughs) have a station wagon. If I want a cell phone, I need a car that can carry it. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now we carry... We carry a device that has, I don't know, exponentially more ability than what he was able to do on that. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, um, and then just seeing how programming has evolved, how how graphics, how all of our communications has changed over time, um, from you know, from telegraph all the way. I mean, I remember going in and seeing a teletype machine at his office and and then a switchboard where they literally switch i mean uh, don't do anything remotely like that anymore today right so. right well even though that technology was older was still incredible i mean the innovations that were made during that time period in telecommunications it must have been truly amazing to see do you, do you notice similarities between even though the technology was different and there were things that were kind of inconvenient about it and it, and it has evolved over time did you notice that there were similarities between that technology in that time period and the tech we have now the things that we have in our pockets i think it's really just the evolution of making it easier on all of us i mean just think of uh, programming software and its evolution is is now and every, every all your devices um, uh, everything's become easier to use. You don't have to use command line interface anymore. You can use GUI interfaces. Um, I mean, the, all of that. Um, there's still some command line interface, but who likes doing programming? Who likes doing anything in command line interface? So at the end of the day. Really, what I what I look forward to is is um, is where uh, not crypto, but in blockchain, but really cybersecurity will change to know that it's Max, it's Max, it's DJ. I don't have to have a password. It's me that is, and and the systems know that it's me. So that a lot of the fraud. I mean, you start talking about some of the crypto or some of the encryption that we have right now. I mean, with supercomputers, that can be broken now. Um, And so when, and it's evolving, um, 
just here's my public uh, do good. If you're not using two-factor authentication right now, please start doing it um, or you will be hacked. Um, you know, just you put a server online and within 15 seconds, 30 seconds, you're you're already getting slammed. Your front door is already getting slammed. So uh, if you've got a connection to the Internet, you should be you should be using some kind of security. Yeah, it's very scary to see what certain people are capable of around the world and what they can do to hack into our systems, because it kind of seems like as communication has evolved and telecommunications has evolved, we have we have this desire as human beings to communicate with each other, right? We want to talk to each other on kind of a larger scale, but that's also opened us up and made us very vulnerable, hasn't it? Oh, most definitely. And so, yeah, the I mean, we're seeing that we saw it in COVID. We're seeing it through through social media. I mean, how we want to communicate, but then somebody tries to take advantage of that communication that that hinders or is criminal, you know? So, so what, what do we do to make that, foster that communication, grow, grow our communities and how, and how do we use technology to do that? And so there's innovations every day. I've done a lot with, um, I'm part of Dell's Founders Club, um, part of all sorts of different organizations around digital divide um, and how, how do we take somebody, maybe whether they're in Africa or whether they're in East LA, how do we give them the tools? Because that person, if, and there's all sorts of documentation is you can around people that when they're exposed, they'll come up with something innovative. In fact, actually what you'll see most startups are um, done by a, a vast majority are done by immigrants or in Israel. Israel, why why are there so many startups coming out of Israel? And the thing was is and I read a read something on it was basically everybody, you know, if you're a citizen of Israel, you have to join the military. If yesterday I was getting shot at and I might die, I mean, and this was written, you know, 15 years ago. But at the end of the day, tomorrow, if I start a business and I lose all my money, I'm, I can start another business. I'll start over. So my risk, my risk tolerance is much higher to do to do startups um, with the immigrants population or with somebody like Israel. I mean, you've got to have capital. You got to have, and then Israel had the capital. Why? And then why? And we're getting way off on tangent, but. Uh, uh, why you know why has California been so much more successful in um, than say Boston where there is money there's still a lot of technology and one of the things that and I have kind of have to agree is is that what you saw on the East Coast was you had a lot of non competes and so people couldn't take their ideas and grow it um, even though that maybe wasn't the strong suit of the company but they had a non compete and you couldn't go do and that was kind of close. So they'd hold you for two, one or two years where you couldn't compete versus out in California. You, they didn't, they had very loose non-compete. So you could go jump across to another company and start a new company tomorrow that has a great idea and start it and off you go. And I think that's what we're trying to do with the auto, the AV, the VR is put those tools in, in the hands of people that can't necessarily travel to a place to um, become an auto mechanic. So you can now become an auto mechanic and not actually touch the physical engine. I mean, 
I, I find that, you know, that that almost amazing. Um, I haven't seen that yet in uh, for airplane mechanics yet, but uh, but it's probably coming down the pipe. So how do you how do you learn all of that stuff? And if you can put those tools um, in into people's hands, whether they're urban or rural, then then the the world will be a better place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think more people deserve to have access to technology and to have access to virtual reality, especially people who want to learn to be a mechanic, who want to learn to be a scientist, who want to learn something that they don't necessarily have the local resources to do. And things such as technology, Wi-Fi, broadband, virtual reality, these things deserve to be in the hands of people who might not necessarily have money or resources. And it's wonderful to see people like you who believe that that so much somewhat so much of the underserved communities deserve that technology. And what what kind of grew your interest in that is is these underserved community communities and getting the technology in the in their hands? Well, um, I always fiber is great. And I will tell you, so I live in Kansas City home of the first Google fiber city. And the, that changed the paradigm. Everybody thinks now that they need a gig, um, even though Google says up to a fiber and most fiber providers, residential providers say up to a gig. But what it did was it changed the paradigm, changed people's perception of what and what could be done, what can be done. Because um, you can do a lot more. I mean, we couldn't do that. We couldn't be doing this conversation um, if I had a if I had a 10 by three connection or God forbid, um, a dial up, I mean, there's still people out there in this world that have dial up and you, you're like, really? <laughs> and, but that's the, all they have access to. Yeah. Do you think technology at this point, especially the internet, the internet specifically has become, has moved from a luxury to a necessity for everyday life? Oh, oh, this is a utility. It's a utility. I mean, if you talk to a business, great that they can buy a piece of property in the past you know they call the economic development and make sure that they could get gas and power to the to the uh, to their land site but now you can almost get electricity and gas and water to almost any place it's now can you get internet and what kind of speed can you get internet and if you can't get it then you you and we've run across quite a few different situations where people bought property building things and then it becomes an after the fact that they're looking about their connectivity and realize they can't do what they need to do. And, and I, I say every company is an IT company, whether they know it or not. And well, and then, and then if you go, especially here in the middle of the U S um, I deal a lot with the FFA and the future farmers of America, which no longer stands for that, but that's who it is. And, um, and then the, the Farm Bureau, because at the end of the day, they want to educate their population. They want to send them off to school. And then they want to bring, especially if, uh, the Farm Bureau wants to bring them back and empower them in a business that they can insure. And what you see is, is a lot of rural communities, not they're losing their population. They're not trying to gain population. They're just actually trying to retain and stay steady. And which is then COVID hits. Now everybody wants to move rural and or get out of the big city. And they necessarily can't because the bandwidth's not there to do what they need to do. 
what what can we do, especially as people who aren't as involved in technology? Is there a way that they can help out with this cause and and bring more tech, bring more broadband, more essentials, this utility to the general public and and bring it upon themselves to kind of help out? Well, I think it's really communicating because this is a large scale process. The the government does have to be involved, and we're starting to see. Uh, see that with some of the big, large infrastructure, but roads, internet's just important as roads and roads and roads have not, you know, nobody's building new roads. They might be resurfacing roads, but they're not building new roads. We're, we're building new infrastructure, super highways, infrastructure, super highways with this fiber. And, but fiber takes, I mean, take fiber is very expensive. Um, and we live in a capitalist market. Um, and at the end of the day, um, the, the capitalist companies out there, the big uh, providers, they go where they get the most bang for the buck. They report to their shareholders. And so that's why you've got to have government get involved because now we're talking about all constituents, not, not just who has the money. And so really at the end of the day, communicate with your legislators that, um, whether at the state level, at the federal level, um, they're trying, um, but it's it's interesting. I I equate this that we should have rolled out broadband the way we rolled out rural electrification in the 1920s and 30s. Still took us 20 years, but right now you probably pretty much anywhere in the U.S. you can get, if you need electricity you can get power to your to your land. Not necessarily all the way on, but we'll give you. We'll give you a meter and one pole on your property, and hey, we'll go from there. And, and not every place, but a vast majority of the U.S. Um, that's not the way. And but we we have lobbies, money, big money people, and they want to spend money where they can make the most bang for the buck, which doesn't necessarily help people in urban areas, um, in blighted areas, in LMI areas, so um, low to moderate income areas um, within cities um to the rural america because that's not where the that's not where the traditional providers the major players have made the most bang for the buck i mean that's proven by cell cell towers cell tower we don't have ubiquitous cell coverage across the u.s i mean we should but we don't yeah these underserved communities, these 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 urban areas, if we were to bring more advanced telecommunication, fiber, if we were to bring them virtual reality, things along those lines, what advantages? Because I, I, I think people are also inspired by the positivity that can come out of of these results. Right. What what are the positives that can come out of providing these telecommunications, these more advanced technologies to underserved and low income communities? Well, um, whether they're going into trades or whether they're going to get a college degree, that access gets them opportunities, gets them opportunities. Whether they want to stay in their that community or move to, to someplace else, that, that gives them opportunities. Um, telehealth, um, with, with high-speed internet, broadband internet, um, that allows you to get telehealth. And so as in an aging population, what, what have, they need telehealth. So a lot of communities we work with, some of the bigger drivers are these, are these rural or smaller hospitals, understanding that their population is dying and 
but before they die, they move to the big city because they have health problems and they have to move to somewhere where they can get adequate health care. Well, that's then that creates more jobs within that those those smaller communities, those rural communities. Um, that it's opportunity. At the end of the day, in my mind, what it does is it gives you opportunity. Whether you take that opportunity or not, I mean, <laughs> that's up to you. That's up to that is the that that's the individual. But at the end of the day, if you if you don't have access to it and you don't have means to to further your education, no matter what it is, um, that economic development, you don't have if they can't you don't have fiber and they can't build a factory close to you in rural America or wherever uh, because they don't have connectivity, then you don't have that opportunity to go work for them. Um, or you don't have a chance to educate yourself and go be the engineer that designs the factory to wherever they're going. So that's, I think, I think it's probably the biggest thing is opportunity, but whether you're, whether you're entering the workforce, whether you're, you're retired, it's opportunity to control your life. Opportunity is, is amazing and it yields so many different results. I, I remember seeing a story this was a couple of years ago. I believe it was a very, very poverty-stricken um, community in, I believe, Central Africa, Central or, or, or Southern Africa. I can't remember exactly where, but they actually got donated to them uh, internet access. So they, they got internet access, and then an individual watched YouTubes on how to build an at-home wind turbine and was able to have the opportunity to create renewable energy for yep. their village, right? With the right wires, the right materials, the right resources. He was able to find things in his village and go travel for it and and, and, and bargain for all these different materials. And through YouTube, created renewable yep. energy for the community, which of course is obviously going to completely change how the community does things. Renewable energy, you know, creates better food, better clothes, better medicine, better everything. We need energy for- Everything. Run a pump for water so you don't have Run to go two mile, walk two miles to go get water every morning for your family. Now I can all of a sudden provide power. And that's one of the biggest things that we run into in Africa. Not only internet, but it's power, a stable power. So when we're doing some of our projects include power because um, because they don't have reliable power or have power at all. And so we can bring that um, to the table. In fact, actually, before COVID, we were really focusing on Africa um, and some, well, basically Africa. Um, and so we've started back up. And um, right now we're doing a project with, um, with a couple of different uh, countries where we're providing connectivity so that they can do um, medical analysis. So they give them a device that's Wi-Fi enabled, and then they ask them how they're feeling every day and, doing all sorts of different surveys and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they we're not connecting them to the internet, just connecting them back to a server so they can collect this data around how, how whatever they're doing is affecting their lives. So yeah, it, how does it change? I mean, think about what you and I do. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I YouTube stuff. Now I just, I YouTube stuff all the time. I'm like, okay, just, uh, I have a snowblower and my carburetor, um was i knew was gummed up because and i need to clean it up well i don't fix carburetors very often right <laughs> <laughs> and so what i do i 
YouTube it, and heck, you know, unbelievably, I it started back up after I <laughs> after I watched the YouTube, and so so yeah, I I would have never thought I was gonna ever clean out a carburetor, uh, clean up a carburetor and disassemble a carburetor, and, and well, anybody can disassemble a carburetor. Can you put it back and it works after you you're done? <laughs> so yeah, great point about how how technology. I mean, I, you know, I didn't think about that anymore because it's so part of my life. I mean, I have big fiber at my house. Um, I have, I have Wi-Fi, I have multiple Wi-Fi networks because of what I do, but I, I have, I've got a, I've got a vacation home. I have gig fiber at my condo. And so I can go there and work. I could be sitting at my condo uh, right now, but I happen to be sitting at my house. So. <laughs> or I go to my office, which everybody thinks they should have high-speed internet. And I, we provide in LK, we provide bandwidth to a lot of companies. And at the end of the day, sometimes it's cost prohibitive and they, they, or they can't get what they need. It's just not available. Yeah. So, These- these different companies that that um, you know kind of maybe have have trouble with broadband or or things along those lines. I, I noticed that technology not being available to everybody and not being available to every company also can cause a, a number of issues. Right? It can cause issues with with health, with learning, with education, with with all of these things and. With access to this technology, it can also solve a lot of problems, which is which is really amazing. So it's amazing to see the work, uh, the work that you do. Was there was there a moment in your career where you kind of witnessed something, an event, uh, met somebody, or something happened where you were like, you know, I I really not only want to be involved with telecommunications and and technology, but I really want to take this and and put this in the hands of somebody who deserves it. So well, um. I was um, doing a lot of things with uh, with my church, and I was actually asked to uh, Joplin, um, which is about two and a half hours south of us, and had a major tornado event. And I was asked by my church to go down and help and evaluate the situation. Um, and I I went down there, um, and one of the things, um, and actually, our my CEO is a ham operator, and. At the end of the day, when you have a disaster like that, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a fire, whether it's a tornado, what's the first thing that people want to do? They want to communicate with their relatives to say, I'm safe. Then the very next thing they do is they want to know, where can I get water? Where can I get shelter? The basic necessities. Thing is, is when a tornado or hurricane comes through fire, it destroys the infrastructure that allows all that to happen. And... The thing is, is even with fiber, now fiber, you can connect to the fiber, but at the end of the day, how do you, so I've gotten involved in the ham radio because I, I didn't know this was ham radio operators get out there almost immediately after, a, and, but they have limited communications because of, of the capacity of the equipment of the technology they use, but it's very reliable. So, but how do we, how do we change that? Um, and then, well, a great thing, or uh, another eye-opening was was I went to um, the Chiefs won, uh, Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. We had a big parade, okay? Well, we've now had two big parades. Thing is, the first parade was 
kids got separated from the parents. <laughs> parents got separated from other parents. Well, when you put that many people in an area, when the, the cap back to the capitalist market, they only put the capacity needed for what is normally there. They don't put it so that a 800, depending on which popular, which uh, head count, 800,000 to a million people were in downtown Kansas City. Well, the cell networks weren't designed to cover that many people. Um, and so how do you solve that problem? And that, that one's always that, that one. And we came across it. We developed a proprietary technology that's easily deployed that we can deploy in Africa, that we can deploy in rural America, in urban America, um, in disasters. I mean, those are the ones where, where it makes the most sense is, is where it gives you probably the most sense of satisfaction, whether you, whether you, um, were involved with a, a group uh, around uh, emergency response. And at the end of the day, we donate our time and some equipment to that um, so that when when a disaster does re, uh, happen, um, people can communicate not only not only the first responders that are there and can figure out how to best get that infrastructure back up and and treat people and get them to the right hospitals if they need it you know, get the emergency care they need it. But at the end of the day, how do you get your life back going? And if you don't have those basic essentials or nowhere to get it, and that's, that's what you got to have telecommunications for that. You got, you got to have that internet because people run to their tornado. <laughs> what do I grab? Probably before I grab my shoes, I grab my phone. I, every, everybody in my family has their phone. We might be in our tornado shelter, but we've all got our phones and we might not have our shoes, which by the way, you should also grab your shoes. Cause that was another big thing that I learned at Joplin was nobody ran into their tornado shelter. And if they survive, then there's nails and glass and everything else out there. You should have shoes. <laughs> the little things you don't think about because <clears throat> immediately you come out of your, your house to look around and there's stuff everywhere. So, um, but that, that's probably the biggest sense of when we can help a community, um, when we can help a community after a disaster, um, that's probably the biggest sense. But at the end of the day, um, you need communications on a daily basis. You need that technology on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, what you do is so incredibly important. Um, and seriously, the industry, the technology industry, virtual reality, they need people, more people like you, these people that actually care and are willing to use their passions and intelligence to help others. So thank you for for everything that you do and, and everything I'm sure you're going to do. Thank you for all of it. Well, I appreciate that. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a team. And it's not just me. We've got a great team. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it seems to be growing on a daily basis. But um, we love what we all are passionate about what we do. And and because of of that and it's a lot and oh it's passionate and we have a lot of fun doing it yeah we have a lot of fun doing it so that's what ama that's what amazes me so that's what i want people to do is they should aspire to have fun to care to do something that really makes an impact so dj thank you so so much for coming on the next in podcast i've loved talking to you about all of this and this has been fascinating it gives me a lot of new stuff to think about myself well i appreciate it max i always 
always have uh, enjoy talking with you and look forward to talking with you again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much once again for listening to the Next in Podcast. I am Maxwell, your host. You can listen to us once again every Friday. Thanks so much.